business as an investor or a real estate agent and get more referrals and more, work more effectively and most importantly service your client better so one key factor is better relationships with great attorneys um, you know in every business there's there's good average better and best and what i'll tell you is when you have a chance to steer your class customers or refer them or encourage them to work with the best attorneys you get the best results in every aspect of law i think it's in every every business period uh, but particularly in law so we're going to talk today to really one of the great attorneys in los angeles who specializes in evictions as well as does probate we'll talk about how those two relate together so a little housekeeping before we get started i'm bill gross i'm a broker in los angeles california i build a national team of probate real estate agents and um, we're also building a network of referrals so feel free to join in uh, if you're watching this um, you know we do have a podcast audience i had no idea how big it was to my assistant and i went over a meeting today but we do this also on video you can join to come in live if you want to participate uh, register at probateweekly.com it's a zoom call and that way you can come in live and ask questions if you want to or chat there or if you just want to watch it on your favorite social media that's fine we're on youtube feel free to subscribe that way you'll get notified when we have new new content and like the episodes you like you'll see more of them um but otherwise participate we have a free facebook group which is probate experts you can go into facebook and join in there and we do get petitioners we do get attorneys we do get vendors looking for referrals and sources of business regularly there that's free you're welcome to join us there as well um local events tonight tonight um we happen to have the best real estate event in Los Angeles area monthly is the LA County Real Estate Investors Association. It's in the Culver City area at the Iman Center, uh, technically West Los Angeles. It's free. And at 6.30, there's a there's a vendors expo, about 50 vendors, and then there'll be a talk at 7.30ish, with about 250 people there typically. Um, and this week it's Bill Tan, how to structure deals. I'll be there, I'm the, uh, the live, the, the 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 live podcaster there so we'll be live streaming while we're there uh so if you're, if you're there come up and say hi it's a free event the best event so event i go to monthly uh outside of my office that i don't sponsor myself so it's a great event great way to meet a lot of people and learn a lot about real estate in one fell swoop also all of our uh these calls are on our youtube channel you can go to the youtube channel youtube.com bill gross exp on my social media is bill gross exp or you can go to episodes.probateweekly.com. If you go to the episodes.probateweekly.com, you'll see all the old episodes uh, in one big playlist. And then in the um, uh, chat box as well, I put my affiliate links. If you're interested in probate mastery or the earn coaching programs, those are programs I participate in, do get some affiliate income. Feel free to, to join those if you're looking to do more. And then lastly, I host a program every Wednesday, getprobate.cash, which is how to use probate advances as a tool to generate more business by helping your customers get some money advance, maybe to pay for attorney's fees or to um, evict a tenant or to make up back payments or such. If you do that, the uh, the additional cash is the way to help them. But more importantly, I think create the, the relationship with the customer where you're helping them. Uh, feel free for to learn more about that at getprobate.cash. It's a live program, Wednesday mornings, 8.30 a.m. Pacific time. We go about that in detail. Okay, I think that's our housekeeping. Oh, lastly, this is meant to be participative. So as we get going today and we start talking about things, feel free to raise your hand, put questions in the chat box. We'd love to have you participate. Also network while you're here. Put in your name, your contact info. 
where you do business and then what you can do to help other people. And that way you can network with them. The idea is we should be here all generating business for each other. I'm in LA, but we can do business nationally. I've literally talked to agents, been, been involved in referrals this week in um, Port St. Lucie, Florida, near Vero Beach, in Washington, DC, Metro Area, Prince George County, and in uh, Michigan. So feel free to participate give us your, your information let's keep the business kind of in the family you know it's it's funny there's on one hand we can look at each other's competitors but if we all work together we can control the business and most importantly give a better experience to our customers so feel free to network in there okay that's the housekeeping um and i'm looking for eileen the zoom link is not working can i resend oh there you go okay, hold on um here we go one second here, I got my attorney on standby. Always a challenge, technology. Who here besides me loves technology? <laughs> it's always something. I'm reminded of uh, Gilda Radner, if you ever watched Sunday Live back in the uh, 80s. Uh, Gilda Radner, it's always something. It's not the Zoom link, it's the browser pop-up. If it's not the internet connection, it's something else. So forgive me for deviating off of that, but I know she's uh, in the process of logging in. Really excited. Um, do I interview her before she comes on? I, I want her to be on when I interview her, when I introduce her because I'm real proud of having this particular attorney on. This program I do every week, the goal for me is to be educational by bringing in experts in the field that we all can learn from. It's great to network with them and get business from them, but even better than that is that if they can teach us how to be better at what we do, uh, then the long run will be better, better off. So the idea of, of interviewing them is not so that you all can solicit the attorney to bring on the call, which is fine, but more than that is to realize how they do business, how they're going to share with you they want to do business, and assume other attorneys like them will do business the same way, and that will help you be more successful uh, as you go forward in building your probate business. Okay, so as we wait for Eileen, I guess I could sing to entertain you guys. Who would like me to sing a little something just to kind of keep you guys occupied. Anybody? Raise your hands, Nobody, nobody's hands up. So we're waiting, any questions or challenge? I know she's logging in right now, I can see it. Uh, any questions, challenges I can help you guys with while we're waiting for our guests to get in? Any victories? I can I can report a couple of victories, um, but you know, I don't want it to be all about me. Anybody want to share a victory in their probate business? Here's the thing, you either have problems and you, or you solve them and you have victories. That's all there is in real estate. If you don't have a problem, you have a problem, which is you're not generating enough business. So who's got a challenge I can help you with here for free? Anybody want to jump in? No? I have a challenge. Let's go. Okay. Okay. This is, um, so what do you take to probate court as a realtor? Great question. Listening. Great question. Uh, and she called me earlier today, so I knew this question was coming. Uh, Ina's asking, what do, you, what do you do when your probate needs court confirmation and do you go to court? And I'm gonna ask our guest to, to, to answer this as well uh, as I bring her in. Um, so, you know, it's changed. I'm in Los Angeles. The first thing I wanna say is the business is different. The law is different in every state. The practice is different in every county. And so you wanna make sure that you are appropriate for your market. I happen to know Ina's going to LA County because she called me and told me that's where she's from. That's where I go. I was just, I was literally there in LA court on Tuesday on a court confirmation. What do you bring? Well, with the COVID rules now, the truth is 
you don't have to go. You only have to go if you want to do a good job and be and stand out from the competition. And so what, what I would say is um, I go not just to service the client, I also go as a marketing opportunity. So the hearing is 830. I'm there at eight o'clock. I'm there good looking and charming, dressed, ready to go, dressed professionally at eight o'clock so that anybody who's there a chance to serve us. Um, on a court confirmation as a listing agent, the, the attorney or the state's obligated to look for anybody who might be there to bid on the property. And so I stand in the courtroom and I mean, outside the courtroom and ask who here is regarding one, two, three Main Street, trying to find that last minute uh, better might come up and they have to be pre-qualified. What do you have to do to be pre-qualified? You have to have a cashier's check in the amount of 10% of the minimum overbid and has to be made out to the estate. So you should have with you the name of the estate and the dollar amount of the check. I just type it out on a, a piece of paper. So I show that to them, make sure that's what it is. If it's that, we're good. If it's not that, we're not good. Now the attorney may want to take the lead on that. You need to work it out with the attorney. Sometimes they aren't there. And so you're, it's left to you. Sometimes they are there and they want to control it. So there's only one quarterback on a team. Make sure you and the attorney work out who that quarterback is. But I would be there. And so many realtors say, I can't meet the attorneys because they're not in their office. There's your chance, hopefully, that they're in court. Not to mention you get a chance to see the process, see the judge, see how things go. So I'll, I'll introduce you just a second by Lean. The question on the table is, listing agent has a, um, representing an estate that has a court confirmation sale tomorrow. What, if anything, do you expect the listing agent to bring to support the estate in the process of getting the court to confirm the sale or anything? Oh, she's muted. Oh, she is. Well, I'm not, I'm, and I apologize because I, I, is this just a regular court confirmation sale? Yeah. So, regular probate court, limited authority, court has to confirm the sale. Uh, you have a buyer. We don't know if there's any overbidders or not. Do you expect the listing agent to show up? Do you, you know, tell them to show up? Do you get involved in that process at all? How do you, or do you get involved in that at all? What's your feeling as far as the real estate agent showing up? Well, that? In honesty, I haven't done a probate confirmation in probably 15 years because there you go. My my focus is you know landlord tenant and you know dealing with quiet title type actions um for instance i have an estate that is trying to sell a property right now uh that is found that chain of title in 1964 is bad um and and had to cancel the sale and having to file a quiet title to fix it because they didn't have the right to transfer it to a trust the way they did but I don't know much about probate confirmation hearings. Okay, well, I'm just curious what you would think. I mean, knowing that you don't experience that, but you're an attorney and, and just kind of to kind of get your take, if you happen to have one, or or if you just happen to be there, what would you think of a real estate agent showing up, dressed professional, uh, offering to be of assistance? Would that be something you go, wow, at least they're doing their best to help out here? Or would you rather not be there and, and let them just handle the business on their own? Do no, I don't mind if they're there as long as they don't try to, interfere and, and speak up when they're they shouldn't um i don't mind if anybody is theirs anybody can be in the audience for any particular reason as long as they don't try to speak up or interfere in the court proceeding right as a general rule i think uh, you would agree the trees really are in control of the process for the state and so you really have to be in a supportive role you know, there's one i would say there's one quarterback on the team you've got to do you know the quarterback calls the plays you have to call run that play does that sound fair yeah so let me just introduce you properly here. I'm sorry I had a little problem there with the connection on the on the Zoom link. I'm really excited to have Eileen Kendall from Kendall Law uh, in the Los Angeles area. Um, and, and it's interesting because I've actually dealt with her uh, firm on two different cases from two different angles. One was 
for me, a probate case where there are two clients, two pieces of probate, and there was a little disagreement as to selling or not selling, and she represented one of my two clients. And then I had another case where an attorney refers me uh, a property they're going to sell. They need to evict the tenant, a commercial property. He speaks really highly of the attorney and of, of the firm as being the experts in eviction. And I thought, well, who's that? And he told me Kendall Long. I thought, well, that's interesting. I had this other case with them. And when I called the office and talked to the staff, they were like on their game on evictions. They did exactly what they're doing. Uh, I hadn't you know, really dealt with them in that capacity at all. Um, and so I came to find out that they really are and I had a, a, a very nice chance to talk to Eileen, interviewed for my uh, YouTube channel. But really, one of the experts of evictions here in LA County, Eileen Kendall, Kendall Law. Eileen, thank you so much for coming to our show today. Oh, you're welcome. Just a, little, just a little brief background. Where'd you grow up and then how'd you get into law? Uh, so I am originally from back east. I'm from Buffalo, New York, but we moved out here in the fourth grade. Uh, how I got into law is um, I'm not really sure as far as back as I can remember in middle school and probably even younger, I had visions of being a lawyer. Those visions changed over time. For some time, I thought I wanted to be a corporate lawyer because I wanted to be on top of Capitol Records building. I don't know why I thought that that's where attorneys would be, but uh, I wanted to do business. So I took Japanese in high school and then I ended up in real estate uh, in law school. I worked for a firm um, in Washington. I went to school at Gonzaga um, in Spokane, Washington. And I just started working for a firm there that did real estate. And then that's what I fell into when I got back to California after graduating. And that's what I've now done for nearly 20 years. And in particular, you I know you do a lot of work or specialize in evictions. Tell me, how did you end up in that piece of business? Yeah, when I went out on my own six years ago, it was the thing that was easy to market. People understand that and they need it. Um, they didn't know it would be such a popular niche. Um, and uh, it, it, like I said, you know, you go to BNIs and you go to different marketing things and, and the thing that people understand is needing to evict a bad tenant. Um, and so over time, it just grew and now it's got to be at least 75% of my business. We have six to 10 different property management clients as well as we represent a lot of individuals. I represent a lot of um, fiduciaries. Um, you know, somebody that steps into an estate uh, because the family can't handle it or there's something going on. Um, and so, yeah, it's a primary part of my business now. And I have to tell you, in, in my experience as a real estate agent, when customers pick in a, a firm to do an eviction, in my experience, 90% are dissatisfied because they pick more of a plain vanilla paper mill type eviction service and find out they need you know, really legal consultation, legal representation, legal um, authority. Um, your business is a little more than just, I, I'm sure you do fill out the standard paperwork. I, I, mean, I know you do because you did what I was involved with, but I also know that you do the litigation and do the more involved process. How do you kind of take on that angle, that approach to your business? Yeah, I, you know, and what they are, they're called mills. They're about volume. Um, and um you know, when you're about volume, we're legal services with a personal touch. We're about our client being a client um, as a person, not a number. And so we deal with each on an individual basis. Um, and it's usually always somebody in our team. And when things get complicated, because Marshall, I have extensive. This is Sandra. 
background of litigation, um, I can handle those things fairly easy. Like we're we're set to go to two jury trials on Monday in cases where a lot of the the mill attorneys just keep pushing the envelope and asking for continuance and trying to settle and to, instead of taking it head on um, and tackling the issue and just pushing it and being aggressive. Yeah, that's the thing that I think um, customers most complain about is I, they took my money, they filed the paper, now it's a problem, and they hand it back to me and say, good luck. <laughs> and uh, I think that's where you guys kind of step in and, and take over. Now, yeah, in, or it gets too complicated that they just don't want to do it. So I, I know that in probate, there's a, there's a different legal status than tenant for somebody who comes into the property, maybe with permission of the decedent, uh, maybe their boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, uh, they're not a tenant, they're not entitled to the same protections, but they still have certain legal rights. Um, can you talk a little bit about evicting, and they might be an heir, might be a son of the, of the decedent as well. Can you talk a little bit about the difference of that kind of eviction than say a tenant who's paying rent and then they wanna get moved out for some reason? Yeah, so typically what that's going to be in the situations that we have seen, um, especially like in a caregiver situation, a girlfriend care, you know, situation when the decedent dies, is that person's what we call an at-will tenant. Basically, there is no rental agreement. There's no agreement for a specific amount of time or about money. You're basically a guest at the invitation of whomever was there before. Um, and the way that you terminate those is um, 30 days notice of the death of the, the person. Because um, we get it even where it's a rental unit. The mother is on the lease. Um, somebody's staying there, so it's the death of a tenant, and then your termination of the at-will tenancy. Um, and we treat it similarly if it's the owner of the property um, that is uh, needing to do that. And we've been very successful in those. Typically, we don't even have to do a trial in those. We file um, a motion with the court just showing what the facts are. Uh, they can never prove that they've paid rent. They never can prove that they have some kind of agreement to have a more um, and I want to say legitimate, more, a more traditional landlord-tenant relationship, but sometimes you have to be creative. And, you know, when somebody calls on that, I, I ask those questions. Are you sure you never took rent or the decedent never took rent? Um, you know, because then you have to consider, did they make like mortgage payments or anything like that? Um, but yeah, it, we, we call it in, in the legal world, it's called an at-will tenancy. And they're entitled to 30 days notice and then you still have to go through the eviction process if they don't leave and then there's a different status if that at will tenant is also an heir maybe they're a, a son or grandson no no because typically in that situation um the ones that i've seen is is that that asset is the only asset that asset has to be sold for the distribution the trustee has the right to dispose of that asset uh, they're still an at-will tenant. Um, unfortunately, sometimes it's, I, I've even had to do it where it's a special needs trust and the person that we're terminating is a special needs. Um, but unfortunately, he's, you know, high on crack and burning up the house with in the microwave, you know. So there are certain situations, but it's treated the same way. And so typically, even with the COVID restrictions that are in place currently uh, or trailing on still, uh, do, you, do, do you practice in Los Angeles? Are you able to get those kind of at-will Yes. Um, out within 30 days. Mm -hmm. yeah. yes. And then in a, in the case of an heir, do the legal fees come out of that heir's 
distribution. I have no idea how they work that out. Um, okay. I'm paid up front. I, I'm paid hourly. Um, how they arrange for that, I, I don't know. Got it. I've seen that. I've seen cases where the you know the judge almost routinely it seems like the judge will award that uh, um, assessment or that um, adjustment to the distribution because in essence they spent those monies and those. So you, so again, you're just involved in the eviction piece of it. It might be a probate, but you turn that back over to the probate attorney to take it over from there. Oh yeah, I don't have anything to do with the trust or the estate um the proceedings. Got it. Great. Hey, look, um, guys, I'm I am able to talk to her. She's fantastic, and she's agreed to be here for an hour. I can talk all day, but this is meant to be participants. This is your chance to learn by how eviction works, how working with attorney works. So, if you have questions, feel free to raise your hand in the um, uh, reactions in the Zoom, uh, or put a uh, question in the chat box. I'm glad to pick it up there. And then, if you're watching um, on YouTube or Facebook as well, feel free. Um, just real quick on uh, Facebook. Couple of people checking in. I see Steve. Thank you, Matt Driscoll. Also, I'll come give. Uh, thank you, um, Bob. Asked, should an executive trust have a role to play with health issues that relate to typical uh, living issues versus daily medical decisions? So, um, Bob asked a question. So, you don't really get involved in trust administration cases, yeah? So, Bob, that's a little out of her range. The question is, should an executive trust have to have a role to play with health issues that relate to typical? Uh, not live or die issues versus day-to-day -day medical issues that children would make uh, with, um, up with their moms. And so the answer to that is really more for a trust attorney. It's going to vary by state. You know, the key thing to remember is laws vary by state and procedures vary by county. So it depends what state you're in. And I would talk to uh, a, a trust attorney on that. And we have, we'll have one next week, but this week we're talking about eviction. So we're lucky to have her on that topic. Okay, so I think I'm up to date on questions there. So what's the, um, currently, is there a, a time uh, issue as far as filing an eviction? Can you give us kind of like the, the standard timeline? You have an at-will tenant, uh, is it filing and then they get noticed three days? Is, it, is there a, a no. hearing that has to happen? What's the, so the timeline look like? You have to do the notice of termination first. So if you want to just go with a timeline of an at-will tenancy, it is a 30-day uh, notice um, of, of death of the occupant or the owner um, and 30-day no notice of termination of at-will uh, tenancy. And then you have to wait the 30 days. On the 31st day, if that person doesn't move out, um, you can then file what's called the eviction complaint, the unlawful detainer complaint. Uh, the timeline for that really then it, it varies on very different things. So once it's filed, you have, you have to wait for the court to file. So it could be one day, it could be five days, depending on how busy the court is. Once it's filed, you have to then serve it. Um, if you can personally serve, so if, if you're the name defendant, Bill, and I personally serve you, a response is due in five days. But if Bill's not available and I serve Martin instead, um, it is 10 calendar days for service to be effective, and then it's five court days for it to answer. So it is, you're, you're waiting essentially 15, 17 days, depending on when it was served. Um, from there, as, as I tell people that call and consultations, it, it then really depends on what the tenant does next. Everything is dependent on the tenant. If there's no response at that period from the, the five or the 15-ish days, you can do a request for entry of default and default judgment. 
depending on how fast or slow the court is, that can be one to five days. Once you have judgment, then you get a writ. Again, can take a couple of days for the court to issue that. Uh, and then you send it off to the sheriff. Some sheriffs are quick, some are super slow. So if you're going by way of what's called a default, you're usually anywhere between 22 to 30 days. Um, then the tenant, instead of going default, can answer and they can answer representing themselves and request a court trial. Um, then you're looking at about 40 days to the point that you get a trial. And that's from the time the complaint is. So from the time the complaint is filed to trial, you're looking at 40 days. Now, if a tenant gets an attorney and makes a jury demand, you're looking anywhere from four to six months, um, maybe more, maybe less. It really depends on how busy uh, the court is, what settlement communications are, um, what their defenses are. Uh, it really is, um, unfortunately, pretty dependent on what the tenant does. And so if a tenant, even when let's say an at will, insists on extending the process with every possible legal right, they're going to demand a, a, a court trial, they're going to get an attorney and such, you're still talking six months, nine months to get them out, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, there's no there's no shortcut process. But that's well, that's short. That's that's short compared to going to regular civil court, but it really depends. Um, our goal is to get things to trial within 60 days. Okay. And then um, obviously an alternative would be at some point to make some sort of settlement because it's costing your client money and it's costing the tenant potentially the risk of losing the court case. Do you get involved in negotiation of cash for keys? Is that part of your process? Yes. And so do you have any idea or are you able to share like what percentage of the time that you start that process, do you end up settling versus what percentage you go to court? Well, typically, if you're talking about an eviction proceeding, um, the settlements are less than a cash for keys than what's called a stipulated judgment. So if we file litigation, I would say 98% of our cases settle without trials and they go into what's called stipulated judgments. Um, and that is usually not even cash for keys. Usually it's a waiver of rent um, or an extension of time to move out. Um, Typically, the cash for keys is recommended to be negotiated prior to even starting any type of termination proceeding. So if like you're in Los Angeles City and you have something that is going to be tricky, um, like I had a client, a potential client call today thinking about buying a duplex in Culver City. The tenant is over 62, has been there 15 to 20 years. Uh, you know, unfortunately, you're never going to be able to terminate that tenancy. So if you are thinking about buying it, the best option would be to negotiate some type of cash for keys to get them out. Um, but good luck. Um, when you have somebody that has been in their home that long, it's really hard. But the cash for keys is certainly, I always recommend the um, owner to try to negotiate that without an attorney, because once an attorney comes involved, uh, they think it's hostile and they want to go get their own attorney and then they go get some tenant protection attorney that's going to jack it up and make it very unreasonable. Um, so if there is some kind of ongoing relationship with the, the tenant and the owner, I highly recommend that the owner have these conversations on a very nice, friendly level. Look, I'm trying to sell um, and um, or I want to do an owner occupancy or whatever it is. What can we do to work this out? Do you uh, but behind the scenes, you're, you're advising your client as far as the paperwork and the process still? Yes. Okay. And and so at the end, if it comes to some agreement, 
I would imagine you're helping them formulate some sort of a written agreement that they would then take and sign in exchange for a check or something like that. Correct. Do you have a, I, can you share a range of what you see as cash for keys? Because I've seen, I, I interviewed, I don't know if you're David Bornstein, he's from San Francisco, and he's an eviction attorney specialist. And he was talking about some pretty big numbers. I haven't seen, I've seen sellers, I mean, buyers offer, I've never seen tenants accept uh, 40, $50,000. I've seen real estate where it made sense if we could get them to take $50,000 and buyers are, or prospects are shocked when they say, well, we'll offer them $50,000. And I would say the tenants already declined that number. Am I, am I using some old numbers? Are there hard numbers that you see tenants accepting and closing deals on? Or what do you see as a range? So I can see some of the questions. I want everybody to know that I am not licensed in any other state than California. I practice in Southern California, mostly in Los Angeles County. Um, so anything I'm talking about doesn't go beyond uh, California um, and specifically in, in the county, because I do see some people saying like Georgia and Seattle. I have no idea. I cannot advise on anything outside of California. Um, in the city of LA, um, there is dollar amounts set for properties that would are called rent stabilized properties. And in that instance, um, it ranges from about 8,800 if you're a mom and pot for owner occupancy to about 20 or 30,000 that is required um, as relocation. Um, I have, however, I've negotiated uh, cash for keys for much less between like five and 10. Um, but I've had instances where, you know, tenants have, you know, kicked 30 to 40 out, you know, and say, I'm not even interested. Right. Um, but I would say that the typical range is somewhere between that 8,800 and the, the 30,000. But that number for the RSO is not guaranteed to a new buyer, meaning just because they want to relocate and are willing to pay that maximum amount doesn't mean they get the tenant to agree to that, correct? The yeah, I mean, the, the tenant can refuse. Right. And then you're stuck and there's, there's really no way to force them out in those circumstances. Correct. Yeah. Um, and for those listening, I do want to say, you know, we also interview attorneys from other states. And the idea is the principles here are similar in most states. California is more regulated, more probably tenant friendly than any other state or most any other state. But my goal here for those of you who are not from local and also you know, her practice is local in certain cities where the laws, you have state laws in California, you have county regulations, and then you have individual city laws as well. And it varies by city. But even those of us not in those cities, the principles are similar. And I, I, what I want to hear you say here is how on the ball she is in the details versus some of the attorneys who don't do eviction all day long don't have those answers at their fingertips. That's, the, that's what you're looking for when you introduce your client to the eviction specialist in your, in your county or your state as well. So thanks for identifying that, Eileen. And of course, I'll say for Eileen's benefit, and she's not giving any of us legal advice, she's just giving us an overview of the, of the business matter of, of, the, um, of the eviction business. Um, let's talk a little bit, if we could, Eileen, about kind of the, the small business hat you wear. In addition to being an attorney, you're in a business, you got to generate business, you have payroll and things like that. How, how much time do you spend? How do you manage or, or balance your time between Eileen, the attorney practicing law, and Eileen, the business owner running Kendall Law? Uh, not enough. Um, so I opened my practice six years ago in October and up until the pandemic, it was just me. I was working out of my home office. I had, you know, small potato type goals, but 
luckily or unluckily, I don't know what you want to call it at this point because I'm pretty exhausted, is that my business grew organically. Um, I love to speak with realtors. I go and do our local association. I do presentations. And the referrals just kept coming in. Um, the pandemic hit, and at first I thought, oh, crap, what's going to happen? You know, you have all these landlord-tenant things. And, and that's at that time, was more of my practice than I wanted it to be for just me because um, I really love litigation. Um, and uh, I hired my first employee. Uh, we have eight now. There, there's eight employees um, with, the in the last year, the majority of them. And uh, it has been a, a big struggle. Um, I have a business coach that says that I should only be billing about 75 hours a month towards client work uh, when I usually bill 120 to 140. And then the other part of that should be devoted to the business. Um, unfortunately, I, I am squeezing in the business when I can because I'm the one that has the consults and I'm the one that, you know, uh, I, I, I have to oversee the legal work. And like I said, I start a jury trial on Monday because the client, you know, hired me and not my associate and didn't want an associate to go do it. So the other issue is, is, is managing expectations that, you know, there's a team and it's not going to always be me. Um, and I, I do need to devote more time to the business side, but fortunately it's growing organically and I don't have to do much. And it's about having the right people. So I have a business coach. Um, I have a bookkeeper. I have a good CPA. I have, you know, all of the people in place that can help me try to run all of these different things. Um, and the person I hired first, you know, she's gone through many hats and she's now taking on the hat of COO. Like she's really learning everything so that she can be the go-between. Nice. I know the first member I did with your firm, uh, I never did talk to you and it was all handled. And I'm not saying that to complain. I'm saying, you know, I had your name as attorney and I called in and I got routed to uh, one of your associates and your administrator and and between the two of them and really more the admin person was really good and and so everything got done you know I'm, I'm copying the attorney to be you know polite but the reality is the admin if you have good staff then you can delegate more and more and i'm sure you're learning your way that process well good for you um okay back on point we have a question from uh joan she's in riverside but she has a client who has a property in carson pretty close to your office i guess uh, tenants been there 20 years, pays $1,200 a month in a duplex. Will the landlord need to pay the eight to $30,000 to each tenant to evict them to sell? Now, just, just to clarify one point she made, she, uh, Eileen was quoting the rent stabilization ordinance in the city of Los Angeles, which is one city. There's other cities, Carson being another city. So on a case, um, Eileen, in Carson, are you up to the details there? And if you have a yeah, semi payable so market? Typically, I would verify the address because even like in Lomita, there are some parts of Lomita or some parts of Torrance that can still fall in with the city. But let's just say that it's a, it is a Carson property. I think she said it's a I heard you say it's a duplex. Um, typically, something in Carson would not have their own rent stabilization ordinance. They are just subject to the state because the state law in 2019 changed to enact the Tenant Protection Act. So any property that is two or more units, there's a an exception where unless it's a duplex where owner occupied um, at the time that the second unit was leased, but let's just say that it's two tenants, um, they've been there a long time, it is not. So let me one say is that right now we're still in the, the Los Angeles County eviction moratorium, so you can't do anything, but that is going away come January 1st. So let's just say you're in 2023. Um, you have to have cause 
Um, so you cannot terminate without cause. So you have to have a breach of lease, an owner occupied, something that's in the code that allows you to do so. Uh, you can still do a cash for keys, but the relocation under what we call AB 1482, the Tenant Protection Act, is one month's rent. It's nothing like the city of LA that's 8,800 to 30. Um, if you had grounds to terminate, all you'd have to do is waive one month's rent or pay one month's rent within 15 days of the notice. So your negotiating uh, dollar amount is probably much less. But if they've been there a long time, it usually takes quite a big amount. And I mean, it doesn't necessarily, but if they've been there a long time, there hasn't been rust adjust rent adjustments, they're under market. A lot of times the problem is that the sticker shock for people to try to find something comparable. So you have to consider that when trying to help them, or not help them, but to compensate them so that they can go get something new. Yeah, that's a big part of it is this lady paying $200 a month, You even if you get her out before she moves, she's gonna look around and find out she can't find something comparable for less than $2,000. That's why they want her out. Well, she may not have that extra $800 a month. And so now you have a case where she's faced with being homeless She's going to fight like her life depends on it because it might to some regards or it might feel like that to her. So you have to kind of look at it from their side to at least understand how they're going to react, I think, to be realistic. Um, so the uh, you bring up a good point with the county scheduled to be terminated December 31st or January 1st. We never know if they'll extend or not. Right. Last time, kind of last minute, they extended it. What's your assumption on the backlog? I mean, we haven't had. You know, evictions now allowed for so long do you see that's a misnomer though bill we've been doing them <laughs> last month in the eviction moratorium we we had 30 files um even this month alone i think we've regained possession in um gosh i had a note because i wanted to do more wins for this month i think we got possession in six different properties um there is a backlog, yes. The backlog means, seems to be more on tenants' attorneys having too many cases that they can't do their jury trials when they're sent out. Uh, the other backlog is sheriffs. Uh, the, the, the cases are being processed just as they were prior to, to COVID. Now, maybe in a month or two, it might be a little more backlog, but we have been full steam ahead the last two years. That's good to hear. I mean, there was maybe a six month period of time where it was slow because they weren't issuing summons, right. but then the law changed. I'll tell you, I think it's changed 15 times in two years. Which keeps you busy. Yes. <laughs> and should, you know, I think uh, owners don't realize how complicated and detailed these things are. And, you know, the attorney's job is to keep up on all those details. So um, kind of hard to do. Um, okay, so there's that. Um, yeah, and so I think, again, you need to understand what's the solution for that person out the door. One of the vendors, I'm going after this call, there's a local real estate event where there's a vendor who is a um, owner, uh, uh, landlord representative. He's like a private investigator and they will find a case where you have a tenant who's paying below market and discover there's four people living there in violation of the tenant. And we'll discover they have pets, we'll discover they're doing criminal activity and such. Is that part of the process of eviction? Is that something you can talk about? Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of that. And that was a lot of what was getting through because um, obviously you couldn't do non-payment of rent. And then there was some circumstances where you couldn't do an unauthorized pet or occupant as long as it had to do with COVID in the city. Um, but um, we have done so many and I, I, I 
jokingly say I could write a uh, or put together a coffee book of the of the horrors of of tenants. Um, but nuisance and criminal activity are are the top things that you know are um, are. I, want, I don't want to say easier to prosecute, but those are the ones that are easier to get through because the facts are there. Um, we file motions on, you know, the evidence. We had one um, in the two that stand out in the height of COVID. One was um, a, a city of LA property where the people were stealing from the neighbor's yards and piling the stuff up in, in the common area. Um, you know, the, the hoarding just in general from other stuff. And I mean, we had five or six declarations from neighbors about how horrible these tenants were. Um, and we were able to get them out on a nuisance. And then another one was a guy, uh, he had a hoarding situation too, but then it, it got worse when he went out gambling one night into uh, some establishment to bring a lady back got high on coke and then there's a, a knife fight and police coming so uh those are uh like i said there i don't want to use the word easy to prosecute but there's little defense to that that's all wrong to do all that stuff right just oh checking. yes it's all bad that's why you get them out but <laughs> what i mean is is that you know when you have a non-payment of rent they can claim all these habitability issues or right. these other technicalities where there's very little defense to um these other ones one of the one of the thing one of the things i always tell my clients to talk to their attorney about when you're renting property is exercising your rights to inspect the property from time to time so you can either prevent those things from happening or discover those opportunities um you know many times leases offer the landlord the opportunity to do an annual inspection they have to give a notice or whatever it is and you do the inspection you discover oh there's five people living here and the lease clearly says you know nobody else allowed or whatever the rules are how do you advise owners or buyers of you know, rental property, what do, you, what do you advise them to do as far as their rights to do such inspections, if any, uh, um, you know, on a regular basis to prevent these problems? Or do you? Yeah, so um, a lot of times, unfortunately, people come to me after they close, it's better to have those conversations before you buy, like the call I had today, where their agent gave them my information before they decide to, you know, remove contingencies. Because unfortunately, a lot of people don't get all of the right information and then learn that they're stuck later. Um, but definitely, if you have a property after close of escrow, you definitely want to have that inspection. Um, you want to make sure that you have all the documents. And I highly recommend that you don't just do, you know, here's, you know, I'm the new owner and here's where you send all the information is do a new lease, do a lease with you um, getting all of the information for all of the people that are in there. Because a lot of times you get these purchases and the tenants been in there 10, 15 years, the children are now adults and living there and that causes problems down the line of um, how do I get these people out, especially if you're taking rent from an adult child and they're not on the lease, you've now created a month to month tenancy. Um, so you definitely uh, want to do an inspection when you get it. You want to do yearly inspections under the lease. You want to try to get a new lease signed, especially if you don't have anything that's really um, concrete and is super old. Um, and 
do your yearly rent increases. Um, I get so many people that come to me from inheriting property uh, that, um, you know, we're so under market, what can I do? And unfortunately, most jurisdictions now in California, you can't do much. You can only raise it a little bit. And there's, there, it, and I fell victim of that. You know, you don't want to raise the rent because you have a good paying tenant, but five, six, seven years down the road, you're kind of in trouble because now there's nothing you can do. Um, so you need to at least raise the rent a little bit every year and make sure that you have everything documented. I find that so many clients come to me and they don't have a good file. They don't have a good communication uh, file that they're doing things just kind of willy nilly. And it, it just makes it very, very hard um, to prosecute those cases. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Dave asked an interesting question. Has a tenant whose son moved home from prison? Yes. There's a clue. Um, during COVID, uh, the son's a gangster. Hmm. That's a loaded term. Terrorizing other tenants. I guess that's what they do. Lost two good tenants as a result. Can we evict? So, um, so the question is maybe. Um, with cases like that, the biggest question I have is, is, do you have witnesses that will be willing to testify to that? You cannot win one of those cases if you don't have anybody but the landlord to testify. And um, we've actually even had a judge tell us that because our witnesses were scared and didn't want to testify. And the judge says, then you'll want to continue this trial and not go because I will not grant this for you if all you have is the landlord. Um, so we had to convince the tenants to, to come forward. Um, yes, you can evict, but to do so, you need to make sure that you have, and especially if it's, uh, it doesn't say if it is or not, but if it's a city of LA, your notices have to very specifically say date, uh, what it is and the witness of it so that they know exactly what's going, you know, and who saw it and who witnessed it and when it happened. So uh, you definitely have to to have all of your ducks in a row to be able to win one of those. Also, I would say one of the opportunities would be to call, you know, if there's police reports, That's when it says terrorizing, terrorizing uh, uh, neighbors, theoretically, terrorizing neighbors causes police to come and there's police reports will identify who the perpetrators of these problems are. They may not be worthy of arresting them, but a couple reports will show a pattern there that will help the process correct yeah absolutely um i've actually had a judge right when covid started i had an incident where um one tenant threatened to to kill and bury the other tenant um and we were going in to try to get the summons issued because at the time you could only get a summons in those cases if you had a health and safety issue and so i went into court to present this safety issue and the judge asked is there a restraining order or a report re police report and I said not that I am aware of then it must not be that much of a health and safety issue if they didn't feel like they needed to call the police right. uh, so uh, if there is threats uh, if there is complaints even noise complaints um, any type of record of uh, police report or if it's it is enough to the level of a TRO a train a restraining order then that that's what needs to be done and I know I work with the police. I'm on a, a neighborhood council here in Los Angeles, and the police constantly say you need to call us so we can create a record of multiple visits. And the, they start building a record. They can build a case and they can investigate. Absent that, there's not much they can do. And they'll say, citizens will say, well, he's been a criminal for this long, but if there's no record of 
police calls, it's difficult to make that case. So um, Ahmad asked another question kind of similar in Inglewood, is an eight unit building for sale. And I, I, there's a lot of these. There's a, a couple of tenants that got COVID rent subsidies. They've not been paying rent since March 2002. Can they be evicted? Will that be cash for keys? So he's asking, now Inglewood's another one of those where there's the city of Inglewood and there's Inglewood mailing address in the city of Los Angeles. So I'm not sure if you get the particulars of Inglewood, but for non-payment of rent, uh, people got uh, subsidies. There's like a whole well, host of various rules and regulations and uh, typically changes. that, yeah, typically that was from housing is key. Um, and so again, um, Inglewood does have their own rules, but they are incorporated, if I remember correctly, and then they would be under the county. Uh, and so what the county is basically saying is, um, the way that it reads, and, and they just on November 15th, um, for those in the California area or in even Los Angeles, there was an injunction issued a couple months ago by the district court saying that the LA County moratorium was ambiguous and vague. Um, and on November 15th, they voted those changes that specifically outlined what being affected by COVID-19, what financial distress means. And really, um, while I have I hated every single one that has come in uh, changes. It annoys me. This, these were good changes. These are changes that really outline it better for people. But basically, um, there's a period of time that was, um, and I, I just can't remember. There's a period of time, I think, in middle of the year this year that the county rules were preempted by the state law. Um, but basically after June 30th, so anything after July 1st, we're prosecuting non-payment of rent. They have, they can assert an affirmative defense in any unlawful detainer eviction that they are protected, but it is their burden to prove that they have suffered that financial distress. And it's outlined now very specifically in the resolution and that they can't pay the rent because of that. And it has to be because of COVID, not because I just don't want to pay the rent or whatever other reason there is. So that burden is really strong on the tenant side. So I'm prosecuting those and we're winning those. Um, they don't have, and they most of them can't. And then also in that time period, some of those protections or a lot of those protections, you have to fall in that 80% below median income, household income. So if you have two or three people and you make enough money that you fall above that 80%, you're not protected. Um, so from July on, we've been moving them. I do not recommend going for earlier because of all of the different time periods and the restrictions and this and that. Take them to small claims, go get the money through small claims. But for possession, if they're still not paying rent, we're doing it. Uh, and how many people did you, how many properties did you get back last month? Um, I want to say that we got six. I love these statistics. <laughs> I love, I love, and that's just your firm. And I'm not making it sound like you're small, but you know, you're one firm and, and it's just exciting to see when people say can't be done, it's being done. And if you need help, one person you might want to call is Eileen. We're kind of up against the hour and you've been very generous with your time, Eileen. So I just want to uh, thank you for people who are interested for real estate uh, agents who have business to bring to you or uh, owners or whatever, or maybe attorneys who do other practices besides evictions. The best way to get in touch with you would be at the Kendall Law website, K-E-N-D-A-L-L-Law.net website. 
Yes, and we do have, um, we're on all social media platforms. So a lot of these like changes that are happening, um, I post on social media. Um, so you can follow me there. We also have an info at kendallaw.net. It's three L's, K-E-N-D-A-L-L-L-A-W.net. Um, and um, you can send emails there um, and my staff will um, funnel you to the right person. Um, if it's something about setting a consultation, we have an intake specialist that can reach out um, and, and move forward that way. And you do. And like I said, I got involved in a case where I had working with you and called for you and got properly uh, appointed to the right uh, associate and then the right admin person and your staff was on the game and uh, we all got paid. It all worked out. Everybody's happy. So uh, again, I can recommend you wholeheartedly. And one of the best attorneys I've ever worked with uh, speak, uh, is one who uh, brought me back to you as far as the eviction business. So just really uh, honored to have you today as a guest. I appreciate the time you spent sharing with us. I appreciate your education and thank you so much, Eileen. I appreciate You're welcome. You. Everybody have a happy holiday. Thanks. And for the rest of you, just a couple quick housekeeping announcements. Again, if you happen to be in LA uh, tonight, uh, the, the L-A-R-E-I-C is in Culver City. That's going to start at 6.30, so about an hour and a half. I'm going to be there live, live casting. Come up and say hi if you're there. It's a free event at the Iman Center. That's L-A-R-E-I-C uh, dot com. Um, uh, dot com. That's every second Thursday of the month here in Los Angeles. Feel free to check that out. And then in the uh, chat box and in the uh, description of the program, I'll re-put in key resources. If you're looking to build your real estate business, whether it be you're looking for some live streams to come to to learn more education like this, you want to see the past episodes. We do probate weekly every Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern. You can register at probate weekly to come in live and ask questions. You can see the past episodes at episodes.probateweekly.com or my YouTube channel. All, all the programs are streamed there. Um, I'm Bill Gross. I'm the LAProbateExpert.com. Feel free to reach out on social media. I'm Bill Gross EXP. I think we do this every Thursday, 4 p.m. Thank you to all those who asked questions, Ahmad and uh, all the others. I appreciate you. And again, a shout out to Eileen. She's fantastic. And thank her for being here. Have a great week, you guys. We'll see you next week.